Hello and welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast presented by the State Newspaper. I am your host, Greg Hadley, and I am joined by my fellow sports reporter, Ben Briner, and we're here to break down South Carolina football's latest result, a 38-24 loss to Florida, and look ahead to the Gamecocks game this weekend against Vanderbilt. But let's go back to the Florida game because I think it was a pretty, pretty interesting game, one that follows a lot of Will Muschamp weird patterns in that South Carolina was in it, but they weren't really. Ben, let's start with the final drive of that game. Thankfully, a subject that no one has covered or talked or written about. I mean, I think it's the most underrated part of this game. Most just 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 sort of least paid attention to. I mean, it's some it's just so obvious and easy to grasp because it was so utterly baffling, I think, for everyone involved. South Carolina gets the ball with about eight minutes left. They are down fourteen points. They need to need to score quickly and either get a stop or maybe an onside kick and go for another touchdown to hopefully force overtime. Obviously, against the number three Gators, they were not favored to be in this position, but that's where they were. They had managed to get going a little bit in the second half. And then they go on this very long, slow drive that ate up the clock like they were ahead and trying to just get to the end of the game. And it ends with them not even scoring that a touchdown on that one drive because of a, a missed fourth down pass. But Ben, afterwards, Coach Muschamp was asked Basically, why'd you guys take so long to trying to get down the field? Only asked about seven times at this point. He definitely he seems a little frustrated, as I guess anyone would be if you're asked about this thing over and over again. What did you make of his response? What did you make of it as you were watching it in real time down in Gainesville? Well, it seemed like they were going very slow. Weirdly slow. You know, that's the obvious. Everyone thought that. And it was kind of interesting because Muschamp said, you know, eight minutes is a long time, which it kind of is and it kind of feels like, but it also kind of isn't. And he keeps pointing out that the clock stops on first downs, which it does, but his team wasn't getting a lot of first downs. They were, they, they went to two fourth downs. They ran twice to convert the second one. You know, they got a few guys out of bounds, but the clock doesn't actually stop on out of bounds. Uh, in college until, you know, the last two minutes, which would totally help if they were down seven, but they were not down seven. So it was this weird combination of things. And he didn't, he said he didn't want to go to his one minute offense because it would basically guarantee that Shai Smith would be doubled. It was very strange because there were just so many sort of different angles and parts to it. And as he said, they should have gone faster. I don't know that going faster would have helped them win. I don't necessarily know that, that there's a lot of things that would have, you know, gotten them into position to actually win. And then there was a whole bunch of weird flip-flopping about, you know, how fast you would have to score to kick versus how fast you'd have to score to onside kick. So yeah, at this point, it's just kind of a terrible muddle of, of nonsense. I mean, they should have gone faster if for no other reason than the aesthetics would have been better. I mean, it's the kind of thing where I think if he had had more success, if he had more trust from the fan base, they would maybe trust him here. But I feel like at this point, a lot of fans are just kind of looking for reasons to be upset with him. And this was, he gave them a very easy reason to be upset with him. So I kind of have to disagree with that. I think that anytime you're in that sort of weird slow drive, people are going to be sort of annoyed by it. But I mean, I I honestly just don't think it mattered all that much. You're If you're down 14 points to a team that is in theory more than two touchdowns better than you, and you have eight minutes left, you're probably going to lose that game. Now, maybe they go hurry up and Colin Hill throws into coverage and throws a pick, uh, you know, with seven minutes to go, and then people would not really care. They would just get mad at the other parts of the game. 
it was very much champy, as you kind of said, in a, in a sense, because it was a moment that really shouldn't have any drama or confusion behind it. Teams just lose in that situation. And somehow they managed to drag something that ticked people off out of that moment, which really was quite something in person. It was somehow tantalizing in a game that, you know, should not have, like you said, been filled with any drama whatsoever. They, they should have lost that game based off a talent level, and yet they still somehow found a way to make it interesting. It would be like That's a, a unique must-champ ability. It would be like a, te- a basketball team down 12 with, like, two minutes to go. You know, someone dribbles the ball off their foot out of bounds, and people are getting really mad about it. And, I mean, I guess they could, because maybe there is some logic to that. But, yeah, it was super strange and kind of surreal to be perfectly honest because honestly the the game kind of went uh you know i was about ready to write a column that was like actually the gamecocks showed a lot because they hung in early against a team that should have beat them and then eventually it was going to beat them and instead you had this weird last chapter in the game that was all but functionally out of reach going back to that earlier you did write a, a column about that final drive and you said how it kind of overshadowed some flashes from the offense the offense putting together 24 points, considering where it was last year, considering the level of the talent on the defense that they were going up against, that, that is some measure of progress, but they also were done in a lot by their own mistakes. I think there was something like five, six, maybe even seven drops all told on the game between different wide receivers, and that really seemed to you know impact Colin Hill, who through two games has been pretty solid. You know, he's not blown anyone away but he doesn't really maybe have the weapons to to do so yeah i think that the drop certainly hurt and it's it's kind of funny when you watch games and you sort of rewatch them and you sort of realize how much a drop or a batted pass at the line is really it's, it's not necessarily a drive killer but it makes life difficult on every front because it turns a potential second down conversion into a third down it turns first and ten into second and ten which is a world of difference And that was a problem because it kept putting them behind the sticks, putting them in bad spots, and they're facing an offense that's, you know, staying ahead of the sticks to an absurd degree. Plus you had, you know, Deshaun Fenwick dropping a quasi-option pitch. That was a mess for them. And also the offensive line was sort of up and down. It had a lot of good moments. The pass protection occasionally was problematic. And so there there were certain parts of the offense that were quite good, and then there were others where it was still like, yeah, you got to shore that up. And it's a lot of progress from last year, but also this offense with where the defense kind of has been is going to have to be better than it was notably, and it hasn't quite hit that level yet. We talked last week about senior Shy Smith really being the only reliable option in the receiving core, and this kind of almost seemed to reinforce that or even kind of underscore that even further, that without him, they, they are dangerously thin. Converted quarterback Dakarian Joyner was targeted sparingly, if at all. Another converted quarterback, Luke Doty, maybe got... One whole snap. One whole snap, not targeted, even after getting a lot of praise during all the preseason. He did throw, I think it was either a block or a pick, though, so that was nice. I mean, when you just look at it, it's just this this wide receiver core, it seems, the situation seems to be getting worse, not better, two weeks into the season. Yeah, I think Rico Powers showed a little bit, but also Xavier Leggett tweaked his groin, I think. So, yeah, I think that's going to be just kind of a a wait-and-see moment. We saw a little more Kevian Mullins. He looked okay in spots. 
Nick Muse had a big drop. I can't recall if he actually did all that much more. So I think some of it is just you sit and you wait and see because I think the potential and ceiling is still there, but now they're in the thick of it and it actually has to deliver. So yeah, it certainly was not helpful for them, and especially those drops in the first half. They're already playing a team that's going to outman and outgun them, and if they hold on to those extra balls, maybe they avoid giving up that last touchdown in the first half, which probably a moral victory in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, it doesn't end with them going three and out and then punting it away and giving up a score. Talking about passing offense, let's switch over to passing defense because we knew going into this game that Florida quarterback Kyle Trask is one of the better players in the SEC, maybe the country. He has a otherworldly tight end in Kyle Pitts. And sure enough, they came out and, especially in that first half, just took apart South Carolina's secondary. We noted some issues against Tennessee as well. At this point, do you think South Carolina's secondary is in serious trouble, or was that more a function of how good the team that they were playing? I don't know if it's in serious trouble, but it is in trouble. Coming in, you sort of expected there to be four reliable defensive backs in J.C. Horn, Jamie Robinson, Israel Mukwamu, and R.J. Roderick. I think Robinson's been mostly pretty good. I think J.C. Horn's been very good. Robinson had a few issues against Tennessee. I think Mukwamu's been kind of up and down, and Roderick has just had a really bad time of it. There's no other way to say it. Well, Muschamp said he's challenging R.J. Roderick. And so, you know, your core group is already looking kind of shaky. John Dixon came in, looked more good than bad. Cam Smith came in, looked eh, pretty shaky. Dalen Dickerson's fine, but, you know, maybe not super reliable. And so they just have a lot of questions, not to mention they don't have any linebackers. So they keep having to put Roderick at linebacker, which turned out kind of disastrously when he tried to cover Kadarius Toney. So I don't know that they're in, like, high-end trouble, but... They're certainly in sort of a weird spot with it. And I think usually what South Carolina doubles down on is sort of their base, which is they play a lot of man coverage, and they tend to be, I don't think intentionally bend-don't-break, but they just kind of end up being a sort of bend-don't-break style of defense. And I kind of think that's where they're just going to end up more bending. I mean, they... They bent all over the place against Florida, broke some, but I kind of think that's where it ends up, just trying to protect those guys a little bit more, even if it comes at the expense of uh, giving up longer drives. All right, we talked about the positive of Colin Hill looking pretty solid. Maybe the, the best development out of that Florida game, if you're a South Carolina fan, is sophomore running back Kevin Harris putting up 100 yards. This was a position that coming into the season... Offensive coordinator Mike Bobo, Will Muschamp, they kind of seemed to indicate that they were expecting a kind of by-committee approach. But Harris really got the lion's share of the touches. My question for you is, do you think, do you buy the idea that Kevin Harris is a sort of, can be a bell cow running back in the SEC? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know if he can be a pure bell cow running back. I think he'd be a pretty good running back. I don't know if he can be, you know, a high-ceiling star, but I think he can be productive. I'm trying to think of a South Carolina back to sort of compare him to, but obviously they've not had a ton of really tote-the-rock type backs. I could think he could be maybe a little less dynamic than a Mike Davis, but sort of a workhorse that way. But, you know, he could also prove me wrong. I know 
Uh, his first spring, he got all sorts of plaudits and all sorts of kind things said about him from teammates, from coaches, and he had a couple moments as a freshman, wasn't really talked about all that much this offseason, but he's been pretty good thus far, running hard, hasn't broken any super big runs yet, so we'll have to kind of wait on that front. I think he could certainly be the lead back in this group, though I think Deshaun Fenwick's also played well, and I'll be interested to see what happens with Zaquandre White, because I think... Again, I think Zaquandre White's talent is considerable, but I don't necessarily know that he's pulling all the pieces together and, you know, finding that, especially when the other two backs are getting sort of established. Yeah, Zaquandre White's a guy we talked about a lot in the preseason. I don't think he got a single touch against Florida. He did not. And it's kind of too bad for him because even though he wasn't, like, setting the world on fire against Tennessee, he also was the victim of some bad tight end blocking. But... I don't know. I guess we'll see. You know, he'll probably a little work in this week's game, if nothing else, and then kind of go from there because, you know, still eight, eight, maybe nine games left and still a lot of stuff that could come to pass and happen. Hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com slash sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com slash newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode. All right, we delayed talking about Vanderbilt for as long as we could, but we got to talk about it. Could we delay it more, maybe, please? I mean, if you're a South Carolina fan, this is at least exciting in the sense that this is a game that South Carolina is widely projected to win. Uh, I believe the, the line on this game is up to 13 points. South Carolina favored by 13 points on the road against Vanderbilt. On the other hand, Vanderbilt is just really, really not in a good place. They lost 41-7 to LSU. That was after, you know, they gave Texas A&M a little bit of trouble in the opener, but now that's maybe looking more like it said more about Texas A&M than Vandy. Overall, at this point, it's almost a not great situation for South Carolina because if you win, you beat Vandy. That's that's not a ton to celebrate about. And if you lose, then you're then you're in huge trouble. I mean, if they lose, they might be able to build up enough money to make a coaching change. Um, which I'm sure some fans would get really excited about. But frankly, man, if they lose, that would change a whole lot of stuff because Vanderbilt is awful. Vanderbilt is profoundly and terribly awful. And there really is almost nothing that's particularly good about them at all. They're they're just not very good. They run a pro-style offense that hasn't been great. They've got a... True freshman quarterback, whose stats are very bad. LSU, I get, I get, I mean, they were feisty against LSU. Give them credit there. And they did turn the game against Texas A&M into a rock fight. So, you know, small things for them. But yeah, uh, if South Carolina loses this game, we, we could be staring down uh, a repeat of 1999. I mean, realistically speaking, what do you think the chances are South Carolina loses this game? Because, I, I mean, you and I are both kind of numbers guys we we like to look at a little bit of analytics 
and going off one of your favorite ratings, the the S&P Plus from ESPN, Vanderbilt is far and away the worst team in the SEC, one of the worst teams in all of college football. But it's actually pretty high on South Carolina, has them, I believe, somewhere in the, the 40s range, whereas Vanderbilt's down at 100-and-something. There's a huge gap is what I'm trying to say. This is something maybe where fans get a little too close to it. They think we can't beat anyone. Is that actually likely to happen? I mean, some of those numbers are obviously based on preseason stuff on last year, so maybe the world has turned on its head. But Vandy was profoundly terrible last year and has done nothing this year to really say that it was not profoundly terrible. Uh, even based on some of the S&P Plus stuff, to, to you know, only lose to Texas A&M by five, Vandy had to outperform its uh, baseline numbers rather impressively. I think the number is uh, by about 15 points, which is kind of ridiculous. So what I'm saying is South Carolina almost assuredly positively should beat Vanderbilt. But it's college football, so, you know, give Vandy a 6 or 7% chance just because math. But South Carolina should smother them. I mean, for God's sake, Vandy doesn't look much better than they were last year, if at all. They might be worse. And South Carolina last year was particularly sad and still managed to beat them, I think, by two touchdowns in a... I believe it was 24-17, or 7, 24-7. They beat them by 17 points. Yeah, just, just beat them by a lot in a very sad football game. And I, I don't think changing the locale to an entirely empty stadium in the middle of Nashville is going to help matters. I think South Carolina, even though their record probably maybe won't show it, is better this year than they were last year, and I don't know that Vandy can say the same. So if you are, if you do have that level of confidence that I would mostly second that South Carolina can win, what are you hoping for from South Carolina to get out of this game? Obviously, a win would be a nice way to get them back on track, but what do you look at and you say, okay, this is something that they can beat a team beyond Vandy if they show you this in this game? Uh, to stop making mistakes. Stop looking really sloppy and tackling badly. Uh, I mean, I think that kind of the theme for a lot of this, for these first two games, was a little like the themes early, you know, against UNC last year, which is that the team played sloppy and didn't really look up to it. And at times they didn't play that way last season. They were overwhelmed on offense, but at times their defense played really sharp, played really on the ball. Maybe not exactly at times during Alabama, but Alabama also has a bunch of big, enormous humans. Their running back still probably shouldn't be throwing an NFL defensive end to the ground, but, you know, whatever. But yeah, I think that, you know, if they come out and they look crisper and they look less sloppy, that's a thing that they can kind of take forward. And and interestingly, actually, if you go back to the trip to Vanderbilt two years ago, South Carolina, then with Jake Bentley at quarterback, and then in the midst of a lot of offensive inconsistency that didn't really solve itself until about halfway through the season, they beat Vandy fairly handily. And it was actually not a bad Vandy team, had one of their best defensive performances of the year, all things considered. But their offense probably should have scored 49 points. And instead, I think, only scored 35. And so I think that that kind of theme is going to be the one to watch for. Do they look on the ball? Do they look crisp? Or are we going to see more errors and more just kind of sloppy play on the edges? All right. We will be back next week to either recap a win or a flaming dumpster fire. But be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.